so the reality is hormone replacement of estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone in women, particularly early in the transition to menopause, is favorable not only in cognitive function, but in mood. And that stabilizing those hormones and stabilizing them long term is going to be valuable. What about birth control? Like I said, I mentioned it earlier, but I feel like this is important because I don't know about you, but like I said, I went through my 30s and 20s and I just, I never felt good, but I was on birth control because I wanted to control my reproductive function. And, you know, birth control has been a subject of considerable research. You know, and so there was a study done by Worley in 2018 on combined oral contraceptives. So the challenge with contraceptive drugs are just like anything else. There's tons of different versions. There's tons of different combinations. And so they all have variability, just like we have hormone variability in our body. If the combination of hormones are a little bit different, we might have different symptoms. Welcome to the Menopause Mastery Podcast, a show for women just like you who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, living life with a purpose. I created this show because I knew that women just like me in this second season of life, the season of menopause, are really tapping into their deepest desires. And we're ready to harness our physical and mental health and explore what our true passions are and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what we want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking the complex science and making it easier to integrate into daily life. So let's join the journey to make this season the best ever. You know what? Your hormones might be out of whack. Take my quiz to discover your personalized hormone imbalance and get a free report with your results. Learn what's really going on with your hormones and start feeling like yourself again. Just visit the website quiz.hormoneshelp.com to take the hormone quiz now. Welcome back to Menopause Mastery. Today, we're going to talk about how hormones are the missing link in mental health. This is actually a talk I'm giving in Scottsdale actually this coming up weekend at a conference, and I really wanted to be able to share it with you. So here's the reality. For years, we focused on the mind and the neurotransmitters. But what about those silent orchestrators within us, which are our hormones? And how could they really probably hold the answer to many mental health issues? In this talk on this podcast, I am going to delve into how these chemical messengers shape our emotions and thoughts. I'm going to go through some of the research and really talk about how these may these hormones may be really what's causing what looks like a mental issue. So let's get into it. So I think I can speak for pretty much every woman that can tell you either they remember themselves when they start period or their family members will tell you that moodiness was probably the most noticeable symptom in your early teens when we see the onset of our periods, right? And then as we go through maturation into our 20s and then pregnancy, perimenopause and menopause, one of the most common symptoms we hear about is either anxiety, depression, irritability, energy changes. So the reality is we all know that hormones affect our mood. There's no question because we can feel it, right? So let's get into the nitty gritty. So I'm going to talk about estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, 
And we're also going to talk about hormone replacement and also birth control. I'm going to at least touch on that because if you're not in the situation where you're on birth control because you're like me and you're very far past that process, you probably were on it at one time, or you may have a daughter or a granddaughter or somebody that might actually be on hormone therapy for birth control. And, you know, there's some good science there too saying that might be contributing because we do have a healthcare crisis in the United States and across the world, a mental health crisis. So estrogen is obviously the key hormone, and it plays a significant role in modulating moods, particularly as we go through those seasons of life, the menstrual cycle, pregnancy, and the menopausal transition. So during the menstrual cycle, estrogen changes can lead to mood swings, often observed as what we call PMS, and also progesterone contribute to that as well. And even in pregnancy, as those hormones rise significantly, we see a lot of times mood stabilization, right? People will say, oh my gosh, women will say, I I felt the best when I was pregnant. And what's really interesting is either I felt the best or the worst, (laughs) right? But when you go through postpartum, that massive drop in hormones also contribute to postpartum depression. And then as women enter menopause, you know, our estrogen does the ketchup bottle. If you've heard me talk about that before, it's sort of all over the place, which can lead to mood disturbances and increasing anxiety and depression, low energy, hot flashes, vasomotor problems, cognitive issues. And estrogen, we have to remember that estrogen interacts directly with things like serotonin and dopamine, not only in the brain, but in the gut. And then our microbiome affect them as well. And we metabolize them in the same place and the same enzyme pathways that metabolize estrogen and testosterone and progesterone also metabolize our neurotransmitters. So the reality is they're intimately tied together. So we can't separate the neurotransmitters from the hormones. But my argument is that neurotransmitters are much lesser communicators than the hormones themselves. So I'm going to give you a visual. So think of watched a movie this weekend that showed footage of Venice. And I have never been to Venice yet. But you know, Venice has got all these waterways through which you have to communicate and travel to get from place to place, right? And then they have some walkways and little courtyards that connect some of the buildings, but you can't traverse the city by using the walkways and the bridges. There just aren't enough of them. So the reality is if you think of your hormones as the transport in the water, right? They're big messengers. They're the ones that communicate with everything. Every building, every park, every bridge has a waterway around it. That's your hormones. Your neurotransmitters are the little bridges between things and the little courtyards. They're important. They help you get where you need to go, but they are not as big as the hormones. So the reality is, why are we treating hormonal issues as a neurotransmitter problem? And a lot of that came out of the women's health issue if you're looking at perimenopause and menopause. And instead of replacing hormones, they were like, well, if you're having problems, we'll just give you an antidepressant because it really isn't that hormone issue that's so very obvious that's happening, right? So the reality is our hormones interact with our neurotransmitters and they are a bigger player. And those neurotransmitters respond also to the changes in hormones. So it's going to affect your mood. And If you happen to be in a relationship with a man or have a man in your life, it affects theirs too, but not as noticeably. And we know that there's variability in how somebody's hormones change over the course of their cycle and their life based on their genetics, their stress levels, their blood sugar regulation. So one person can feel totally fine with their hormones fluctuating and another person, it could be very critical to their mental health. So we also have to understand like our genetic predisposition can affect that right? So estrogen plays that really big role, right? The fluctuation, and we see that. Progesterone's also crucial, right? It's significant in 
in fertility because it helps prepare the uterine lining along with estrogen for implantation. But it's that significant rise in progesterone in the second half of our cycle and the radical drop that's associated with PMS also, but probably more heavily, and then definitely associated to PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. It is believed to be somebody has a much greater sensitivity to those changes in progesterone. Now, progesterone significantly influences mood because it's linked to how GABA works. So GABA is a neurotransmitter in our brain and GABA is the most calming and relaxing reducing anxiety neurotransmitter. It's the most plentiful we have in our body. So when we lose progesterone or if it's not adequate, we're not going to have receptor activity that's effective for GABA. You know, so like I said, our progesterone levels rise in that second half of the cycle. And in the beginning, it's a little bit calming. But then as we go through those like 10 to 14 days before our cycle, we get more irritability, more mood swings. We might feel more cravings. We might be, it's hard to sleep. We get anxiety. And so it is a significant player in those moods. And it's important to understand that both of these hormones together have a calming effect on the brain when they're balanced. And when they radically change, they're going to increase depression and anxiety in women. Maybe not all women, but a lot of women. So if we look at the estrogen levels, right, estrogen has also been associated with a major depressive disorder. So estrogen modulate brain networks. So it modulates to the stress response. So it's going to be impacted by your stress level. Estrogen also regulates cognition. Moscone's group just published a, a meta-analysis of studies of over 6 million women looking at hormone replacement and cognition. And their study showed that when you replaced estrogen in particular, and they were using conjugated oral estrogen because that's what all the studies that they kept in their review were, were done on, so we have to go with what's there, that there was a 34% decrease in cognitive decline if you replaced estrogen as a woman went through menopause. The further you went out from that, the less value you got out of it. And then when we look at a PREM-PRO combination for cognition, we didn't see the same effect. It was actually possibly a little greater negative effect. Synthetic progestins, which when we get into it on birth control, are not favorable in most bodies. They increase clotting risk and other issues, right? So estrogen is going to play a role in major depressive disorder, especially when there's psychosocial stress. Progesterone also at its highest level during ovulation, again, can help lift your mood in the beginning, but then when it drops, we get irritable. And like I said, I started to bring up contraceptive pills. We're going to talk a little bit about those. They tell your body that you're not ovulating, right? So basically what they do is they make your body think it's in a menopausal state. So instead of having the fluctuation and allowing ovulation to occur where they follicle opens up and your egg kind of pops out and allows an egg to travel to the uterus for potential implantation, it just basically says, no, keep all these hormones at a very stable, static level. Don't let them fluctuate so the egg never pops out. So what they call anovulatory. But essentially, birth control in most cases is basically putting you in a menopausal state. And so knowing what I know now, I was on birth control for years because at the time I didn't know any better. And number two, it was also an imperative because I didn't want to get pregnant. And so I wanted to make sure that I was controlling my reproductive responsibility. And But I can tell you my 20s and 30s, I did not feel good. I mentally and emotionally, I did not feel good. And I'm looking back on it now and I'm like, what was probably going on was probably not all just stress. It might have very well been the birth control that I was on. 
And so they can also affect you. And like I said, I hope nobody listening to this that happens to be, you know, in that menopause transition, I hope your doctors are not using birth control as the sort of bridge to the gap because it's not an effective bridge. But if you are on them, this should hopefully make you think a little bit about maybe changing to a different therapy. Right. So the reality is hormone dysregulation is related to, to mental health issues and all the hormonal imbalances that we see in women heading into menopause, things like insomnia, sleep issues, all are going to be made worse when those hormones change. And we're going to see things like mood fluctuations, anxiety and depression, and then the vasomotor problems, the hot flashes and the night sweats. And we know that women that struggle with significant PMS and PMDD may be related to wilder fluctuations in these hormones and sensitivity to these hormones. So what does the research say? So Schechter in 1999 with their team did a study that looked at the literature looking at estrogen and progesterone and modulating mood in women, particularly in relation to severe PMS. They assessed that severe PMS is causally related with hormone disorders, right? Imbalances between those hormones and they also evaluated the influence of your own hormones, your what they call endogenous production and exogenous production. And they found that there, there was a significant impact of hormones and that replacing hormones may actually help balance those levels out. Payne and their group in 2003 looked at the role of hormonal fluctuation, specifically estrogen, in triggering depressive episodes in women in reproductive phases. They found accumulating evidence that reproductive-related hormonal changes may increase the risk of depressive symptoms premenopausally and postpartum and in the perimenopausal period, and that they discussed that there's a potential role for estrogen influencing the serotonergic system, so your serotonin system, and other things like brain-derived neurotropic factor, which has a lot to do with cognition and also mood, and a thing called protein kinase C. I'm not going to go into that today, but this is, is a take-home message that our fluctuations in hormones are going to cause changes in our moods. And then there was another study that published in 2014 called the Emotional Cognitive Functional Imaging of Estrogen Progesterone Effects in the Human Female Brain. So they did imaging and looked at it, and they found that... Those women with EMDD found that hormonal changes affected the response of several regions in the brain that implicated emotional and cognitive processing, suggesting that the influence of sex hormones is straight on these regions in the brain. And then another one done by DOMA in 2005 and their team, they looked at the role of estrogen and mood and well-being throughout the reproductive life, so a conceptual sort of model. And the results of that study showed that sudden estrogen withdrawal, fluctuating levels of estrogen, and sustained estrogen deficit correlate significantly with mood disturbances. And that clinical recovery from postpartum depression, perimenopause, and postmenopause is best when the restoration of stable, optimal levels of estrogen. And then one more study, a steroid hormone sensitivity in reproductive mood disorders. This study proposed a research agenda to investigate genetic, endocrine, neuro, and psychosocial factors explaining depressive symptoms in women during hormonal transition. It suggested, this study, that some women experience increased sensitivity to the reproductive and stress-related hormones and that steroid hormone sensitivity 
and an expanded concept of reproductive hormone sensitivity may play a role not only in the sex steroid system, but in the GABA receptor activity and serotonin receptor activity in mood disorders. So the reality is we know very well in the research that hormone changes, particularly in estrogen and progesterone, are significant. And without those, we are going to feel it. And many women feel it. Do everybody feel it? No, not everybody feels it. But a significant portion of us do. And the grin and bear it or, you know, take another drug that doesn't fix the underlying root cause is not the answer. So let's talk about testosterone because it's also important in women's health. And it's been a subject of ongoing research. Today, the FDA has not approved testosterone therapy in women. However, it has been used probably millions of times, <laughs> you know, in, in a month. I'm, I don't know those numbers, but I'm just saying it is used off-label for women all the time, and it should be. And we associate testosterone with men, but it influences things like libido, energy level, and mood. And there's a relationship between testosterone level and in women. And so one of the studies done by Davis in 2014 and their team posted in Menopause Journal investigated the effects of testosterone therapy on mood and well-being in postmenopausal women. Hey there, are you over 40 and finding that a good night's sleep feels like a distant dream? Have no fear, I have cracked the code. I am offering a free ebook, A Woman's Guide to Kick-Ass Sleep, with insights tailored just for you. So, if you're ready to dive into the secrets of sound sleep after 40 and wake up refreshed, zip over to sleep.hormoneshelp.com and snag that ebook. Your dreamy sleep awaits. This study suggested that testosterone therapy would improve mood and well-being, particularly in women that also had, oh, I love this. Instead of just saying your libido stinks, they had to call it a disorder, hypoactive sexual desire disorder. So the reality is the reason why they're using that language is because they'll slowly use it as a way to get testosterone approved therapy for women, which I'm all for. But the reality is you have low sexual desire because you have no hormones and it's a normal process of menopause and aging, but it's not an optimal process. So it absolutely affects women. Another one published in 2017 by Kitschke and team in Psychoendocrinology, they examined the association between internal testosterone level and depressive disorders in women, they found that higher testosterone levels were associated with a lower prevalence of depression in middle-aged women, showing that, hey, testosterone decline is clearly an effect, but especially if it declines more greatly or more rapidly as a woman ages. There was another systemic review published in the Journal of Sexual Medicine by Alameda's group in 2014, and they were looking at testosterone and cognitive function and mood in postmenopausal women. This systematic review, so when you do that, you're looking at multiple studies over time, suggests that it's not consistent across all studies, right? So the reality is some studies were less favorable, some studies were more favorable, but we, which really means we need more research, right? And then there was another study done by Goldstat in 2003, and it looked at testosterone supplementation with women with low libido, and they found that that mood improved, well-being, and sexual function improved with testosterone therapy. Um, and so all of these studies collectively indicate that there is a link between testosterone and mood too in women. And so the reality is 
hormone replacement of estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone in women, particularly early in the transition to menopause, is favorable not only in cognitive function, but in mood. And that stabilizing those hormones and stabilizing them long term is going to be valuable. What about birth control? Like I said, I mentioned it earlier, but I feel like this is important because I don't know about you, but like I said, I went through my 30s and 20s and I just, I never felt good, but I was on birth control because I wanted to control my reproductive function. And, you know, birth control has been a subject of considerable research, you know, and so there was a study done by Worley in 2018 on combined oral contraceptives. So the challenge with contraceptive drugs are just like anything else. There's tons of different versions. There's tons of different combinations. And so they all have variability, just like we have hormone variability in our body. If the combination of hormones are a little bit different, we might have different symptoms. But this was looking in general at oral contraceptives. And this, this systemic review found that most women do not experience negative mood from birth control. However, a subset of women are susceptible to mood disturbances, but they're not able to predict which women are at risk. But of course, they weren't looking at genetic variability, stress levels, blood sugar control, thyroid function. They don't look for those outliers because it adds too many variables to the study, and they don't always control for what we call those confounding variables that might lead to skewing the data. There was another study posted in JAMA Psychiatry in 2016 by Hall's team looking at progestin-only pills in mood. So progestin-only pills are often used in women with PCOS or women with lower progesterone levels. Progestins are risky because they increase clotting risk. Right. And so they're, they, they have black box warnings. There's plenty of class action lawsuits against the makers of these drugs. But these studies suggest that while some women, so this particular study, experience mood changes, the evidence was not strong enough to get a causal relationship with progestin only contraceptives and mood alterations. Right. So remember, if we remember, progesterone is calming and increases GABA function. So some of that may be valuable because these women who are put on the progestin only are often assumed to have low levels of progesterone. And so maybe those synthetic, even though they're not, I would not call them the best thing to use. I would not use them. I don't prescribe, but they may have actually an improvement effect because progesterone level are low in a lot of the women that are put on these medications. So there was a longitudinal study produced by a Swedish group published in JAMA Psychiatry in 2016. So longitudinals over time. And they looked at hormonal contraceptives and mood. This is a large sample and they found a statistically significant increase in the use of antidepressants among women on contra who have been taking contraceptives, right? Particularly adolescent girls, right? We can't necessarily just say this is causation, but it's important. It's real important because our mental health crisis, particularly in the younger populations, is at a, a tipping point, right? And the reality is that maybe some of the mental health issues that we're having are hormonal things that are happening with these poor young girls and they're being manipulated with birth control and it's leading to increased mood problems, not improvement. There was another meta-analysis published in 2020 in the archives of women's mental health looking at or hormonal contraceptives and mood by Anderlil and their group. And this group analyzed multiple studies looking at hormone contraceptives and mood. They found some studies that indicated mood deterioration, their words, not mine, while others did not necessarily show significant mood changes. So what this all boils down to is collectively, what it says is some women may experience mood changes. 
right, throughout their menstrual cycle if they're using birth control. And the evidence is not always conclusive, which means that there's individuality. And so we have to look at that. Now, part of that, the reason why there's conflicting stories could be methodological differences and limitations of each study, whether it's sample size, this type of design, whether it was a randomized control or not, and the type of contraceptives used. But the overall resounding answer is that these hormones that are given as birth control do affect our mood, and it may be affecting our daughter's and granddaughter's moods. Now, if we look at hormone replacement therapy and effect on women's mental health, we have a lot of research looking here as well. Not only the risk for depression, but cognitive function group in 2015 in the journal Menopause looking at hormone replacement and mood disorders explored that relationship, right? And this study indicated that HRT may have a beneficial effect on mood reducing the risk of depressive symptoms and depressive episodes, particularly in women who are recently menopausal. So the earlier they start with hormone replacement, the better, right? Because that transition period is impactful. There was another study looking at the risk of depression and HRT. And this was a randomized controlled study by Gordon's group published in 2018 in JAMA Psychiatry and examine the effect of HRT on depression risk in perimenopausal and early postmenopausal women. And they found that HRT has a protective effect against depressive symptoms in this population, particularly as women go into that transition. So the reality is they found it to be impactful. And then it, there was another meta-analysis done by Soares in 2014, published in Menopause, that looked at multiple studies on HRT and mood. This reviews suggested that HRT is not only beneficial for mood symptoms in, in women going through menopause and through menopause, but especially so for women who had the vasomotor symptoms. So basically what they found is the women who also had hot flashes, night sweats, had a greater likelihood of de major depressive disorder if they did not have hormone replacement. So what this review emphasized was a need for personalized approach and considering individual risk factors. So that's super important. So I can't have a conversation without jumping in and just saying a few things about men because I talked about testosterone because you should have your ears perking up if you have a man in your life because even though this is a women-focused podcast, we care about the men in our life, right? So testosterone in men is really important. I think the important thing to know here as women, when we enter into perimenopause, during that hormone fluctuation, it's kind of like we're bungee jumping all the time. We're going up and down and then we cliff dive and everything stops, right? Now men, they slowly roll downhill. So the average man at 40 is going to have the half the testosterone they had at 20. And by 60, it's down even more. So the reality is it's a slow decline and they don't even recognize it's happening in most cases. Testosterone has been linked to mood regulation and also cognitive function in men, just like women. It can lead to things like reduced muscle mass, fatigue, and decreased libido in men and women. And this obviously has a direct effect on mental health and contributes to reduced sense of well-being and increases the risk for depression. Well, and testosterone regulates neurotransmitters along with estrogen and progesterone. And so it has a direct effect on serotonin and dopamine in men as well. And so if a man's feeling lowered testosterone and all of those things, the lower mood, the loss of muscle mass, fatigue, lack of motivation, this is also going to affect their self-esteem and body image, which is going to further cause a problem increase the likelihood of mood disorder or depression. So there was a study that published in 2013 looking at the effect of testosterone levels in men. It was a review 
And they looked at both really high, like above the high end of optimal and really low levels of testosterone. And what they found is low levels of testosterone was associated with depression and hypomania. And then really extremely high levels showed an impact of fluctuation between hypomania and hypermania. So testosterone when it's too high and or too low can be problematic. Another study looking at testosterone levels and mood disorder, they looked at a literature looking at specifically major depressive disorder and bipolar disorder. This one was conflicting. Again, it's probably depending on the level of testosterone. So this is where they were looking at extremely high levels above the optimal level and extremely low. They found that major depressive disorder was found to be associated most strongly with low levels of testosterone compared to healthy. Bipolar went both directions. So again, so bipolar disorder, if it was very low and or extremely high, they saw more fluctuation in mood. Overall, the study showed that testosterone levels were reduced in major depressive disorder and bipolar disorder, that testosterone can be a successful biomarker in mood disorders. And then Zitzman in 2020 looked at testosterone's role in maintaining balance with psychological networks of mood, right, behavior, self-perception, and quality of life in men of any age. And what they found was low testosterone concentrations, particularly in men in middle age and older, might relate to depressive symptoms and exhibit a wide array of clinical pictures. And testosterone influenced various traits of anxiety and mood, and especially as men aged. And then one last study, there was a study looking at the incident of testosterone replacement therapy and prescribing patterns in men with depression and anxiety. And basically, testosterone prescribing rates were higher for men with depression and anxiety than those for men without these disorders. And this highlights a significant need and increase in testosterone replacement in men as they go through the transition to andropause. So the reality is, is men experience this too, right? Men experience the same decline, but it's slower and more gradual, right? So to wrap up this conversation and to really bring it home, if you are perimenopausal and experiencing symptoms of depression, anxiety, low mood, low self-esteem, low libido, anything that you can harness into the DSM-5 diagnosis category, right, which is a volume of hundreds and hundreds of pages of just, you know, literally labels for things. It's highly likely your hormones may be playing a role. And that if you're working with somebody and they're not willing to explore that, and they're not willing to treat that, then you need to find somebody else that can help you explore that role. I'm not saying get off antidepressants or anything like that. I would never say that. I don't prescribe nor diagnose. I don't ever remove somebody from medications. But the reality is that transition period is hallmarked by the hormone changes, which means that the hormone changes are what's driving the symptoms that now occur. And so you've got to look at it. Our psychiatrist team in our office looks at hormones. That is part and parcel of the picture. If you are postmenopausal and you're experiencing these things, then this is probably time to look at is hormone replacement positive for you because it's a quality of life thing, right? It's a quality of life thing. If you are living a life and living in depression and low mood and anxiety, then it should be something to consider because that is part of the picture of why you probably may be feeling that way, particularly if it occurred as you went through menopause. And if you're getting hormone replacement and you're not getting testosterone, that may be impactful too, because 
all of those hormones play a role in women. And then if you love that you're with and around and they're in, you know, this midlife and they don't feel the same, they don't show up with the same, you know, verve and excitement and just sense of well-being, they may very well have much lower testosterone levels than they had two decades ago. A couple weeks back, I had a conversation with Tracy Gapin, who's a men's health specialist, and he brought up some studies that showed that our men's testosterone today is half of what our grandparents and parents had as our norms, right? So that means the reference ranges that we have today are lower than what they were to two generations back because the average men's hormone is lower and it's probably the other endocrine disrupting activity we have in our environment, all the toxins and things like that that act that raise estrogen levels in both men and women and also increase the likelihood for aromatase to be active, which is the enzyme that changes testosterone to estrogen in both men and women. We don't know exactly what's causing all of those things, but I would say it's probably a little bit of all of it. So the reality is if you've got an emotional dysregulation, you've been labeled with a mental health label, you're experiencing those symptoms, you should explore your hormones as a possible avenue. And like I said, I think it's, it's malpractice for your practitioner to not explore that with you in today's day and age with the research that we have. So I want to thank you for listening to Menopause Mastery. And if you found this to be a great episode, I'd love for you to do two things. Share it with a friend. And if you would, leave me a review. You know, the reviews help other people find this. Also in the review, if you have questions or other things, I, I make podcast episodes based on the feedback I get and what people want to see. And so I'd love to have that. And the reviews mean so much. That helps us get better guests. It helps us have better episodes and it helps us reach more people. So I thank you for listening to Menopause Mastery. I'll be back with you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Menopause Mastery Podcast. You are why I'm here and I am so very grateful. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode has helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD and you can reach me online at BettyMurray.com. 